This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's September 15th. It's Thursday. Ryan Jesperson here with John Hicks. Thanks for making time for Real Talk. We've got a great show in store coming up in uh, less than 10 minutes. We're going to talk to two former senior staffers for the Jean Charest uh, Conservative Party of Canada, the CBC leadership race, uh, campaign manager Chris Rouget and Michelle Coates-Mather, who is the director of communications, uh, essentially an autopsy of the campaign that they ran as Pierre Polyev, of course, walked away with that one big time. Uh, one asked them, uh, did they underestimate the Polyev campaign, get some insights into into how the Charest campaign plotted out its course to victory and, and maybe why or how that fell short. Plus, their insights into this new look conservative party, the one that we discussed yesterday with Tristan Hopper. Hopefully you had a chance to catch that. And of course, Jared Yates section, section yesterday with an amazing insight into uh, the United States and trends uh, with our American neighbors. And then, of course, conservatism, small C, big C around the world. It's been a great couple of days for talking politics here on the show. We're also going to check in in about a half hour with Gary Mason, a columnist for The Globe and Mail, one of my favorites. I don't know about you, but I look to Gary's columns uh, for insights across the country. This week, he argues that the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, may have met his match in Pierre Polyev. And we're going to ask Gary what leads him to that conclusion and, and whether or not he thinks that Pierre Polyev could be the next Prime Minister of Canada. He opens his piece in The Globe. He says, in Pierre Polyev, the Federal Conservative Party of Canada has found its most effective electable leader since Stephen Harper. We talked about these leadership race results, overwhelming results for Pierre Polyev. The numbers, we talked about them with Charles Adler a few days ago. Uh, Mr. Polyev on the first ballot, 68% of the points, 71% of the votes. Uh, that's the biggest victory in the history of this conservative party's leadership races. It eclipses what Stephen Harper did uh, by a couple of percentage points back in 2004. So as Gary writes, Gary Mason in the Globe, there's no question over who's in charge of this party. I don't know if you can totally say that Aaron O'Toole had that confidence or that Andrew Scheer had that confidence behind their leadership. But there's no doubt, argues Gary Mason, that Pierre Polyev does. So what does this mean for the federal political landscape? We'll get into that. And then some news that's just broken a couple of hours ago. Johnny, I don't know if you're a huge tennis guy. <laughs> are you a big tennis fan? I would I would not say huge tennis guy. No. Okay, my parents are I, yeah, huge tennis fans. Yeah. Um, I, I respect tennis. I don't know a ton about it. I kind of know how the scoring works. Um, and I certainly recognize that these athletes are among the most impressive on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest of all time, Roger Federer, announcing that he's about to play his last tournament, announcing his retirement today. Uh, 20 Grand Slam singles titles, one of the all-time greats. So Federer walking away at 41 years of age, says he's got to listen to his body, says there's been some injuries, some surgeries, mm -hmm. and his body's telling him it's time to hang up the shoes. But he describes tennis as, as his true love. He says, I will never walk away from this game. So who knows what his future looks like? It's not baseball. you got to be in tip-top shape to play tennis. And we're seeing that now with even we thought, you know, 
Serena would keep going, and yeah. it just your body gives out, right? It's just it happens. So two of the all time greats, I I yeah. think, and I'm not in a position to say I am not the authority, but I, tennis. I think I think that you can say uh, Serena Williams is the greatest female player of all time I, i'm pretty sure Tennis, that's a safe for sure i think yeah, she's up right? there for like she's, she's arguably one of the greatest athletes of all time i would argue her uh simone biles some other people are right up there with the most decorated yeah. most yeah of all who time. else would be i mean i'm not i shouldn't even be doing this i don't even know tennis i will <laughs> like martina navratilova or billy yeah. jean king or i'm trying for to think sure. of some of the other like you know i, I think it, growing up like my era as a kid i guess what chris everett was one of the mm-hmm. big ones but she's not i mean serena blows her career out of the yeah. water uh, yeah, so Federer and Williams in the same year. Look mm-hmm. at that, right? I remember hearing a story about the Federer entourage and people talking about like his family would travel with him on the tour. Nice. And so if they were, whatever, they're off to Australia or they're off to Wimbledon mm-hmm. or they're, the U.S. Open, whatever they were doing, uh, the private plane would have like him, his staff, his trainers, his chef, his kids. I like it. Each of his kids had a tutor. And they just said that this Federer entourage would arrive <laughs> at tennis tournaments with like 40 people. Absolutely yeah. amazing to wrap your mind around what life would have been like. Uh, so we wish Roger Federer well in the next stage of his life. It's on my radar because Gary Mason was tweeting about it this morning. That's how I found out. And so maybe we'll talk a little tennis with Gary, too. We'll see. I don't know. I, I, I wonder if this audience is a big tennis audience. Maybe. Maybe there are real talkers that would have some some comments on the legacy of Roger Federer or, for that matter, Serena Williams. You can let us know. I would imagine people right now are probably uh, insisting there's no contest on the Serena Williams assertion, the greatest mm-hmm. of all time. Yeah, yeah, Tony, I'm just dropping in. She says, yeah, she's the GOAT. There's no debate about that. It was crazy to watch the rounds this year, too, because it was like, she's not going to make a best first round, then she yeah. wins. Second round, she's not going to and then she wins. And then third round, it just you saw it's just the younger blood just, you know. Every, ahead of you. Everybody kind of hoping that she could go out on top. Yeah. Right. And walk out with a win, which obviously is how everybody would love to go out. But uh, yeah, not in the cards doesn't matter. What a career for her and for Roger. Uh, hey, before we get into our conversation today, before we talk politics, you know, we're huge fans of Jasper. And, and every Wednesday, I recognize it's a Thursday, every Wednesday we bring you my Jasper memories. But we do have an update from our friends in Jasper, which is great news. And so we wanted to let you know that that on the heels of this Cheddarman Mountain wildfire. You know, crews have been working on this for several weeks. Uh, they can officially confirm. So this is Parks Canada, the township, Tourism Jasper. The Jasper is open for business and it is safe to visit. You can check out all the details at jasper.travel. That's the website with all of the resources on it. Uh, a whole bunch of summer season left to enjoy the weathers. The forecast is looking beautiful over the next several days. Uh, so any visitors who graciously postponed your trip, now's a great time to think about rebooking. So obviously you're going to want to be patient local businesses and tour operators are scaling everything back up after putting it on the back burner for the last couple of weeks but there's going to be some great offers from businesses announced soon Uh, we'll be telling you about some of those and most importantly everybody in jasper just wants that this is a message from them straight to you they're grateful for your understanding it was a tricky situation especially when it involves people's summer vacations and everybody really appreciates your patience Uh, a special confirmation here the crew at atco has done an amazing job you know i saw a lot of these big the high transmission the, the big power poles basically burned to 
the ground, right? Uh, Atka was successful in switching Jasper from that temporary generator system to the transmission line. So that's great news for everybody out there, whether they're permanent residents or visiting. Jasper now has sufficient, stable, reliable power. And so everybody's eager out there to safely welcome visitors back to the community. Uh, a special note as well, beginning Tuesday, September 20th. So early next week, September 20th, visitors will once again be able to book through the Parks Canada reservation system for Whistler's Campground all the way through till October 10th inclusive. So this is great news. Congratulations to everybody in Jasper and a huge shout out to the wildfire crews uh, that were up there in the helicopters and the aircraft and of course on the ground as well. It's exhausting work, I've heard. Uh, and uh, they've done just a, a really remarkable job protecting the communities there and knocking this thing down. Jasper.travel for more details. Uh, we'll talk politics with the two senior staffers and we're talking director of communications and campaign manager uh, for the genre campaign in just a second before we do though i know for a lot of people you know your kids have gone back to school this fall or maybe your friends your colleagues starting a new job a new position and you're starting to look at new opportunities uh, your best move right out of the gates maybe to check out athabascau.ca athabasca university is canada's online university uh, world-class accredited online programs and courses offering flexibility that's key to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle so you need to step away a family emergency or maybe an opportunity to get away for a little while you're not going to fall behind in your courses because you're managing how those courses are going based on your availability it's why tens of thousands of canadians look to athabasca university at athabascau.ca let me tell you about mealtime in our house. And I'm not talking about the humans. I'm talking about Moses, our boxer, and Monroe, our lab. Right around 6 o'clock, they start to get restless because they know what's about to happen. I'm going to go to the fridge, and I'm going to get the Grand Dog Essentials quality raw food. And I'm going to put it out on their eating tray, which we also got from Grand Dog under the Shop Now link. You can check it out. Moses and Monroe each have their own special food customized to their dietary needs. Uh, they've been eating Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food for a few years now, and we have seen amazing health benefits. I trust this food. So can you. You can check them out online at granddog.ca. The promo code REALTALK knocks 10% off your first order delivered to your door in Metro Calgary and Edmonton areas. They're expanding into Central Alberta as well. Granddog.ca. And we do have human supper time, too, in our home. <laughs> right around 6 o'clock. The humans get excited, too, and that's because we have great food around the family dinner table that's some of our most cherished moments, thanks to our friends at Friesen Brothers. 16 Alberta locations for more than 65 years, Friesen Brothers still family-owned. They're so proud of their local offerings. Love Alberta it. beef, pork, chicken, turkey, the plant-based options, the John. snacks. We went there last night and grabbed some of these. Oh, made in Red Deer. Oh, the El Gringo tortilla chips. Oh, and the salsa, the spicy mango. What do you think of that spicy mango salsa? My my wife's all about the mango. So yeah. I like the pineapple. That's oh, the, my the, favorite. That, yeah. that one's, yeah. I, I threw some spicy mango El Gringo salsa on a breakfast burrito the other day. Bingo, baby! <laughs> you can find out more about Friesen Brothers at Friesen.com. Don't forget, 15% off, first of the month, anything over 75 bucks. You don't always get a, uh, an opportunity to have a conversation like we're about to have right now. In politics, typically, when a side gives it their all, a team comes together for a candidate, and they fundraise, and they strategize, and they knock on doors, and they put on events, and they facilitate interviews... 
And then they lose, and they lose by probably more than they'd like. You wouldn't blame these team members for taking a few weeks off, a sabbatical. I don't want to say lick their wounds, but take some time to regroup and to catch their breath. But these two have agreed just days after the conservative leadership race results were announced to come on here and and talk about their candidate, Jean Charest, uh, who was unsuccessful in his bid to lead Canada's conservatives, uh, ran a dignified campaign nonetheless. Chris Rouget is a partner at MPH Agency, the former campaign manager for Jean Charest. Michelle Coates-Mather is the founder and principal consultant at Presence and Influence, the former director of communications uh, for Jean Charest. To the both of you, welcome to the show. Thanks for making time for us. Looking to this conversation, talking some politics in Canada. Uh, Chris, campaign manager, where's your head at a few days after the results were released? Your guy didn't win. Well, it, uh, it took me a couple of days just to recover and sleep, uh, I'll admit. Uh, with every campaign, you push right through to the end. And uh, it wasn't the result we wanted. And that's unfortunate. Uh, but we ran a campaign that I'm extremely proud of. I think uh, we delivered some really good policy options. We delivered an excellent alternative. And we drove the debate of the race from beginning to end. So uh, the, the result was a, was, a, was a clear win for Mr. Polyev, and congratulations to him and his team. They, they also worked extremely hard, but I'm looking at this and looking back and saying we ran a really good campaign, really happy with the things we did and the things we said. It just wasn't the result we wanted. Yeah. Michelle, when did you know that, that this was trending the way that it was? I mean, your team was pedal to the metal all the way through to the very last day. But when did you get a sense that this was Pierre Polyev's race? Well, I mean, look, candidly, I think we knew probably from the onset that it was Pierre Polyev's race. I, I mean, there really can be no doubt about that. We were up against a movement. But the reality is, and those of us that have been engaged with party politics for, for, for years now know, when you care about your party, you get involved, you get engaged in the discourse, no matter what the outcome might be, right? Because that's good for party politics. It's good. It's good for our democracy. So we did. We fought until the end. We knew for sure, I would say pretty well the week before the final result, um, wh where this was headed. So we were prepared. Our candidate was prepared for the outcome. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, we can all hold our heads high because we, you know, we knew that we had given it our all at that point. And now, yeah, we're, we're just sort of, we're getting over our adrenaline hangover, if you will. Yeah. And um, processing all of the, all the information. And I'm sure there will be, you know, lots of lessons to learn from this too. Yeah, no kidding. This was, I mean, there were a lot of things about this race. It was one of the most expensive uh, leadership races in party history. I mean, over 300 grand to play ball there, right? Which was, which was a big deal. And, and obviously pretty high profile, a lot of memberships, Sold. What did that tell you, uh, Chris, about the, the party itself, about the Conservative Party itself writ large? So the Conservative Party is now the biggest political movement in Canadian history. It's bigger than the city of Hamilton. Uh, there are more members of the Conservative Party now than voted for the Green Party nationwide in the last election. The reality is, is that the engagement level the, the the people that are getting behind the party and Mr. Polyev are is is massive and unheard of. And anyone, whether you're the liberals or any other opposition, need to take this seriously, need to take the frustration and the anger that is out there and that is mobilizing people seriously because it's uh, it's no longer something that you can just brush off. But uh, I think 
I think there's a, a very strong movement uh, ahead for the Conservative Party and watching it evolve from an internal leadership race to a general election campaign, which, if you ask me, is going to be in the next 12 months, mm. um, is, is going to be absolutely fascinating to watch. Let me uh, let me follow up on that real quickly, Chris. What gives you the confidence that the election will be in the next 12 months? I've seen a lot of pundits suggest they don't think that Trudeau would be keen to go uh, to the polls within the next year. What, what makes you think otherwise? I think Trudeau has uh, time and time again underestimated the frustration that is out there. He has underestimated the anger that is directed at the federal government. Uh, this appears victory and particularly the result shows that it's not a small group of angry people that may have one particular issue, masks, vaccines, or anything else, but a very large chunk of the Canadian population that is frustrated, exhausted, and angry and wants change. Um, but over and over and over again, we've seen the Prime Minister underestimate uh, those groups of people, and I think he's going to do it again. Michelle, I, I know that we're we're just at the outset of this interview, but I think that I've already got my poll quote uh, when, when you said we were up against a movement. Uh, yeah. What is how do you character? I mean, I think we can see it, uh, but how do you characterize it? How do you describe it? What is the movement? Yeah, that's it. I, I mean, that is that is the question of the day now, isn't it? So, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think it means a lot of different things to different people. I think those that um, are quick to dismiss the movement as, you know, anti-vax or fringe are really missing the big picture. I don't think it's as simple as that. There's a reason why, you know, Trudeau's polling has, you know, depleted. Uh, he is past his expiry date. And it's not just because we're heading into likely what will be a change election, but because, you know, he has been incredibly polarizing. The reality is we're seeing that polarization, I think, happening on the right and the left. Let's let's be candid about that. Um, I think it's a concerning time, frankly, in our political history that that we're dealing with this. But what happens when we're in this 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 polarizing um, environment is that you you tend to you, you alienate would-be voters or you mobilize a sense of either anger or frustration with the existing government and they're looking for a home so i think this movement is much more than you know um people who were mad about happened with with what happened with covid but i think it's been brewing behind the scenes for some time i don't think it's you know a mistake that uh, mr polyev was able to capitalize on such a huge um, membership drive, uh, because this is something likely that he's been working on for you know at least two years now since he, he stepped out at the last race. And that was before COVID had hit us. So I think this movement really comes down to this idea that people are um, very much interested in getting engaged in the political discourse more so than they have been ever before, because they're not happy with how things are going right now in this country. They're tired of identity politics, they're tired of, you know, being told by the government how to live their lives. But, you know, at, at the same time, we need to remember that, you know, not not all Canadians really tap into this polarization either. Yeah. Hyperpartisanship, hyper ideology, both Trudeau and Mr. Polyev have to get outside of their own echo chambers here as well. I think when it comes to really capitalizing on this when it comes to the next general election.
Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, right as you said that, Jason on our live chat says, I'm not angry. I'm just completely indifferent. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we've, we've had some inter- we've had some interesting uh, conversations here on the show, uh, you know, about about who these people were or who these people are that bought all these memberships in particular. And listen, let, let me say something. Uh, I want to look into your faces as I say this. I, I don't want to sit here and bring you two on Sheree's most senior staffers and then talk about Pierre Polyev the whole time. Uh, <laughs> but let's be honest. I mean, you know, he took this race, right? It was sort of a Usain Bolt style race, you know, where he's, he kind of smoked everybody. And, and so that is the story. Um, but a lot of people are wondering what identity this gives Canada's conservatives, right? I mean, even prompted just yesterday by his spat, if you will, with David Aiken at his first news conference. And and I don't think that, you know, I'm not giving David Aiken a pass here. Uh, I don't think Aiken looked particularly good in that exchange but at the same time you see that kind of that kind of snarly condescending sarcastic vibe that Pierre Polyev can get off uh, give off and 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 you you see who who he mixed and mingled with and rubbed shoulders with and marching with James Top and supporting the convoy and you know you've seen the, the acronyms now I mean pe- you know CPC people are saying is it the convoy party of Canada you, you know I mean is 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 this something? I mean, you two are master communicators. This is your craft. Uh, can the Conservative Party quickly move on from this? I mean, there's all this talk about the big tent, but I think a lot of people right now, especially with this leadership win, uh, that are maybe on the outside looking in or, or, or maybe these, you know, like this viewer says, somewhat indifferent. They're not sure if there's a place in this party for them. What do you guys think? I think... I think from the beginning, the Conservative Party has always been a, a coalition or collection of different conservative ideologies, whether it be libertarian conservatives, whether it be traditional conservatives, social conservatives, red conservatives, blue conservatives. The reality is, is unlike the Liberal Party, unlike the New Democratic Party, the Conservative Party has always been this internal coalition of right of center ideologies. Uh, I like to think it's because conservatives you know, have to believe things unlike liberals, but that's just my <laughs> partisan bias on this. Um, and that means that challenge is going to be there for whoever the leader is, whether it's Pierre Polliver or if it was Jean Charest or Aaron O'Toole or Andrew Scheer or Stephen Harper. Um, that challenge of balancing that has always been there and always will be there. So I think there's a different element that's more dominant in the party right now, but the reality is, is that's a constant cycle of change and that's a constant uh, ebb and flow of, of the political discourse. Uh, in terms of the, the, the spat with uh, David Aiken, I don't think you're, uh, I don't think you're a credible politician in Canada until you've had an on-camera spat with David Aiken. So uh, I looked at that and said, you know, welcome, welcome to the front bench, Mr. Polyev. This is, what you're going to face. Jean had to face it uh, with media forcing themselves onto him and uh, throughout the entire leadership race. And, and this is what to expect. And I, I expect my leader to, you know, handle that with his handle that as best he can. Michelle, do you think uh, th- this conversation yesterday about the liberal, what did he call him, a liberal heckler? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, th- this is Mr. Polyev's assessment of David Aiken, which I know David sort of generally ish. 
Uh, we spent a few nights, you know, to, working together in Toronto at the federal election. Had a couple of beers together. We're not best friends, but I know him a little bit. I know him enough to know that it, it probably personally really pisses him off to be called a liberal heckler. I can tell you that much. Yeah. Um, this this move, though, I mean, you're a communications expert. Uh, you know, this 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 trend to vilify the media or to antagonize the media or to fire back at the media to assess their coverage is unfair to question their credibility yeah. to question their integrity. Uh, does that concern you? I mean, strategically, it's a powerful move and it's proven it can be successful. But at what cost? What's your assessment? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a good point. And this speaks back to what I was saying before about the importance of getting out of our echo chamber, right? And I think this is something that Mr. Polyev and his team are, are going to have to do. Look, they found a playbook to bring in memberships. Excellent, good work. Huge amounts of memberships were, were sold and, and it's it's pretty unbelievable. But we now have a general election to prepare for and a broader public that we have to engage. And, and I, I really doubt very much that most of the public care much about this debate about independent versus mainstream media. I, I'm really not sure that they're following along with that. Mm. So what I would, strongly recommend if i were advising mr polyev and and and, uh, and his team i would say look guys th- th- this is an opportunity where um we can show people i think it's a it's not a pivot because um mr polyev has been clear and he will remain steadfast in his beliefs and his ideology but i think there is an opportunity here for a very subtle shift in nuance in our messaging and, and, and approach as a conservative party. What I would recommend is stay in the headlines for the right reasons. You know, we don't have to get into the mud or, you know, eviscerate, um, you know, sort of conservatives who are different shades of blue uh, or eviscerate the media. Um, it is not about taking the high road. It's just about being mindful that there's a huge population watching us right now. They're paying attention uh, to to how he acts, his tone, his approach, his judgment. Um, and, and I think that he's an incredibly smart individual, surrounded himself by a lot of very savvy campaigners. Mm. And this is an opportunity now for them to shift that. And I'll, and I'll just add, we, we saw a bit of that happen this week. Um, and, and unfortunately, because of what happened with David Aiken, um, you know, it got lost in the headlines. But we saw, you know, uh, tweets come out from his um, from his Twitter feed about, you know, no matter who you love or what your last name is, you know, you, you can have a purpose in this country. We've, we've seen him say things like shifting away from the freedom message to maybe the benefits of freedom, such as, you know, we don't uh, small government makes for big um, big, big Canadians, big citizens. It, it's a very subtle shift. And I would recommend stay on that course. We don't need to get into the mud, mud to mobilize and expand our support. You make a really good point, Michelle, when you go, you're not sure that Canadians are really tuned in to maybe some of the the discrepancies or differences or rivalries or whatever between legacy mainstream media and independent media or what have you. And and we can really find ourselves uh, doing shows like this in particular, getting into the weeds on that kind of stuff. But both of your job and a big part of your team's job is to cut out that noise and understand what people care about right Mm -hmm. in particular what voters care about uh engaged and disengaged uh michelle if you could if you could do a do-over at the at the very outset of the sheree campaign what's something you'd hone in on that maybe mr sheree didn't from the beginning 
Do you know what, actually, I what I think I wish we had done more on was, um, so it's no, it's no secret that we we tried to make our campaign about policy. I actually would have taken a harder stance on healthcare reform, believe it or not, uh, because there's, there's a huge tie into that anger and sentiment around COVID and how the pandemic was managed. And the reality is that much of that is tied to our healthcare system in this country. And I actually think, um, you know, we attempted to talk about that a little bit, but I, I wish we had really honed in on it because we could have really shown that a lot of this anger and sentiment actually comes down to how we have um, framed our institutions in this country and how you know we've been afraid I think to tackle uh, and debate questions around much needed reform. It's not about burning things to the ground. It's about looking at things objectively and thinking about how we could really, you know, embrace and improve these things so we don't have to lock down, force people out of their jobs, talk about vaccine mandates, all of these things. So so uh, staying true to to the charade campaign, that would be, I think, the one thing I, I would do differently. I wish we had, we had really promoted that more. Um, would it have changed the outcome? Uh, likely not. But, uh, you know, I think there was space there. Uh, for us to push on that a bit harder. Chris, what's something you might do over? Uh, I would have asked Jean to start his social media accounts about six months sooner than day one of the campaign. The, the reality is, is we, we used uh, legacy media or traditional media a lot in our campaign because the reality of social media and social media platforms has changed so much in the last five years Uh, Five years ago, when I ran the Kevin O'Leary leadership campaign, you could literally buy an audience. You could pump money into advertising and the followers and the likes and the clicks and the engagement would would come automatically. The algorithms, the way they work now, they're only showing your ads and your content to people who already like your information, who are already part of your movement and a small group outside of that. So when you start with zero social media presence, Uh, You just can't turn up the volume the way you used to. And so we had to build an organic following, which, as you know, takes years and constant effort to build a true organic following before we'd have any chance of building an advertising or marketing following. Yeah. Uh, But the but the reality is, is the these things have to be thought about now in a completely comprehensive way. You know, what is it, it? We always had, you know, back in staffer days, what were called maps. And we ended up having to do them for our for uh, our events, which talks about every product you need for an announcement. And now it's video and it's clips and it's on and on and on. And the reality is, is if you're not on every channel, whether it be traditional, whether it be online, whether it be new media, you are missing an important piece of the Canadian audience. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Oh, man, I'm trying to like uh, just to be candid here, you know, it's so true. First of all, to build these followings, um, I mean, it just takes so much hard work. And I think people underestimate what what goes into it. But, you know, through the course of this race, right, you'd have, um, you know, Mr. Sheree would be, you know, he'd he'd be like in a bookstore or something or like some whatever and post a video. And he'd be like, I want to talk to you about policy and why it's important. People would be like, meh, you know, and then and and then Pierre Polyev's like, you know, he's like caressing the. The, the the wood in the cabin and he's and he's waxing about the 300 years ago the the wood and the hands on the wood and then it's like 1.3 million views yeah. and you're like i would imagine for you michelle you're going what the <laughs> f- <laughs> what are we gonna do about this yeah i mean it, it, it's so true but again like chris made the point it's it's it 
like we to game the algorithms. I mean, we we would have needed to have established a really solid social media following for Jean long before he launched his campaign. I mean, he knows that too. It's funny we were chatting with our digital team the other day because Jean, at the onset when he met the campaign team, looked at them and said, "You have the hardest job yeah. on this campaign," and it's true. And we all knew that. But you know, look, we 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 did what we could based on stay true to Jean and who he is, and it resonated with the people that bought memberships for us. Uh, but in the end, it you know it, it wasn't enough to to expand the audience in a six month period. You know, so we were the clock was ticking for us on that. So, but you know, do you we guys gave it our best that, shot. Do you guys think that is is the race too long? Oh, no, I, I think despite being exhausted after six months and it seeming very long, I remember at one point in uh, early August, I said to the team, only the length of one general election to go. Um, but but six months is probably the appropriate length. I, I have witnessed the Doug Ford leadership uh, that was done in six weeks, I think, uh, which is way too short, way, way too short. And I also experienced the 2017 conservative lit race, which was... 18 months or 20 months or something like that, which was way too long. The reality is, is six to nine months is probably the the right length for these things. It gives you enough time to get out, sell memberships, to engage. Uh, the, the reality is, is the logistical challenges of a leadership race mean that there's more travel, there's more connections. Selling a membership is a whole lot harder than just mobilizing a vote for a general election. So you need that time. You need that time to engage. Um, and also, I would uh, I would consider uh, changing the membership cutoff rules so that uh, people who are long established members of the party would have have a better opportunity to cast their vote rather than you know quick signups. Well, you mean you mean that the vote would carry a bit more weight? I, I I'm not going to have an opinion on the details of how it would work, but I the reality is is the membership war is is it takes away from the actual race and. Uh, Campaigns like Pierre's, campaigns like ours worked very, very hard to sign up and renew conservatives and engage new conservatives. And one of the things is I always want to I always want to figure out how to do is how do we grow the party with people who are going to stick around? And I think Pierre's Mm -hmm. campaign and our campaign have done that. And uh, that is the objective. Mm. Michelle, last word to you. What a ride. No regrets. I mean, truly, no regrets. I think, um, you know, Jean's an extraordinary man. He, I think, has done so much for this country. It was truly an honor to, you know, serve him. And I think, um, look, he, he ended this race on a high mark as far as I am concerned with, with a call to unity. And, and I think I would just say that for anyone, you know, who supported Jean, who's you know, feeling a little uncertain right now, uh, my advice is, look, if, if you want to remain engaged and you care about the future of the party, you, you have to stay involved. You know, that that's how you have influence on policy direction. Um, you know, so so I think to me, this this doesn't all need to be uh, for naught. I think there's a, a huge positive outcome. And Jean was a champion for a lot of people within our party. Um, and I hope I hope they all stick around. Yeah, well said. So, so is it? We can assume in closing that the two of you uh, does does Pierre Poliev have your support? I mean, yeah, look, we'll be, I'll be voting conservative in the next election. Yeah, yeah, same. I've I've been a member and a supporter of the party for almost twenty years. So, 
that doesn't change overnight. All right. That's Michelle Coatsmather, uh, founder, principal, consultant at Presence and Influence, uh, former director of communications for Jean Charest and uh, Chris Rouget, partner at MPH Agency, the former campaign manager for Jean Charest. Uh, the both of you were uh, phenomenal to deal with. Uh, can I say I'm huge on transparency? Um, I really appreciate uh, politicians, business leaders, community leaders that make themselves available, whether or not their perspectives align with what they perceive to be the perspectives of the interviewer. Uh, you consistently um, treated our interview requests with diligence. Uh, you got back to us if a time request didn't work to accommodate our request on a later day. Uh, Mr. Shrey himself, uh, your camp never asked for questions ahead of time, which I think is always interesting for an audience to know and to be aware aware of and I've got a lot of respect for that as well and so my gratitude to the both of you uh, for a race well thought uh, well thought rather uh, win or lose thanks Brian you got it that's Chris Rouget and Michelle Coatsmather really appreciate uh, their availability here on the show I love those inside looks the behind the scenes looks you know Uh, Michelle in particular when did you know that this race was going to go the way it was and she goes yeah kind of from the outset (laughs) but still you think of all of the people and not just these two think of all of the 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 staff and the volunteers and everybody involved on all those campaigns right Scott Aitchison Dr. Leslin Lewis Roman Baber uh, obviously the Pierre Polyev team as well uh, a formidable campaign that they ran. And we're going to find out in just a second uh, whether or not it's going to be enough. This momentum that they've built, this membership that they've grown, the profile uh, that they've raised uh, for the conservatives to beat the liberals in the next federal election. Uh, Gary Mason from the Globe and Mail thinks they might be able to do it. And he's going to be our guest in uh, just one minute. Before we get to Gary, the columnist from the Globe and Mail, I want to remind you, you've still got a little bit of time, but not a ton to get your tickets for the Covenant Foundation Lottery. Now, the earlier bird draw is done. We told you about that, hundred grand or the Tesla, but still, your opportunity to win this $2.2 million dream home, live in life-changing luxury, still up right now at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. You can also call one 944 2774 The final deadline is November 3rd, and I'm going to keep reminding you right up until that day. Trust me. But why wait until the very end to qualify to move into this absolute mansion, fully furnished? Of course, there's trips up for grabs, other vehicles, great prizes, all in support of the Misericordia and Grey Nuns Hospitals. We are proud to be partnering with Apex Automation to let engineers across the country know that they are constantly hiring. They've tripled their team in the last few years. Why? Because more and more people are getting into the idea of time back. They're giving time back to their clients by automating machinery and processes, and they're giving time back to their employees as well. Their corporate culture, a huge bedrock of Apex Automation. You can learn more. Check out the careers link at apexautomation.ca. Our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy want to let you know that the $40,000 interest-free loan from the feds, this Canada Greener Homes grant, is still available, and Kubi's got all the paperwork ready to go. You don't have to even do the research. You can give them a call. They'll explain it to you and then provide you a quote that day so you can get a better sense of what going solar might look like to your bottom line. KubiEnergy.ca is where you can get your free quote. Don't forget, Kubi Energy presenting positive reflections, good news stories, the bucket-filling moments every Monday right here on Real Talk. 
And a shout out, this interview is presented by our friends at Westworld Computers. They are overstocked. If you're right now streaming Real Talk on that old laptop that's given you its all, owes you nothing, but both of you kind of know it's time to upgrade, why not check out westworld.ca today? They've got the MacBooks that everybody loves, the MacBook Airs and the MacBook Pros. I love my MacBook Pro. They've also, of course, got the brand new iPhones. They're expecting those to be delivered tomorrow, September 16th. You can place your pre-order right now at westworld.ca. Well, Gary Mason, uh, in my mind, is uh, one of the best political writers in the country. You can read his opinion pieces at The Globe and Mail. Uh, Just a couple of days ago, he argues in Pierre Polyev, Justin Trudeau may have met his match. Gary Mason joining us live this morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks for making time for us. Gary, I think we may have you on mute. We just want to make sure we can hear you. There we go. We got you loud and clear. Don't sweat it. Um, hey, okay. bef- before we talk politics, I noticed your tweet this morning. Roger Federer, he's he's hanging up his tennis shoes after this next tournament. 20 Grand Slam titles. You're a big tennis yeah. guy. Is, is, is he? He's what? Top three all time? Is he the greatest of all time? What's your assessment? Well, I... I <laughs> He's definitely top three. There's no question about that. Um, I think he was the most beautiful tennis player that's ever played the game. I mean, he he just he was just so graceful on a tennis court. He made it look so easy. Um, I mean, he was really a true artist. Mm. Uh, it, when you sort of compare him to someone like Nadal, who's like this power guy, who was really a master on one surface only which was was clay i mean he obviously won on other surfaces but federer won on all different surfaces although he only won one french but he, he was just a beautiful player to watch he was just so graceful and uh he he was just so classy in everything he did i mean uh i i just you know there's not there's not gonna be a player like him for a long time i mean even the young guys that are coming along now they all play just a hard brutal power game pretty much and that was nearly never Federer's deal. So um, I, I'm just going to miss watching his type of tennis. I think there's probably political metaphors here, um, you know, talking <laughs> about how the, the, the game is moving toward power and grinding and, and demolishing your opponents. Uh, how can I not transition right away to the results of this conservative leadership race? A neat opportunity just before we checked in with you to talk to a couple of the senior staffers with the Sheree campaign, get their insights onto how Pierre Poliev won this thing so decisively and, and perhaps why Jean Sheree really I guess, failed to, to show up on, on folks' ballots. What, what was your assessment of this, this resounding win? It's the biggest win in Conservative Party leadership history. Yeah. Well, you could see it building, certainly. I mean, when Polyab's, uh, Polyab's camp uh, disclosed the number of uh, memberships they had you know, signed up, the new members they had signed up, and it was a staggering amount, like over 300,000. A lot of people didn't believe it. And in fact, it turned out to be true. And, you know, but you can sign up members, uh, but then you have to get them out to vote. And it looks like he did an ex- outstanding job of that as well. He got most of his people out, like 95% of his new members to uh, people who had signed up to, to come out and vote for him. So, uh, I mean, it was, it was just a masterful campaign. It was, you know, as much as I didn't like certain elements of it, and there was a lot I didn't like about it, I had to admire the way it was conducted. I mean, mm. he he just kind of got off to a real quick start and 
he really kind of left the rest of the field in his dust. And then the whole Patrick Brown thing, of course, that played into his hands perfectly. And, you know, all those votes were gone and wasted. So it, it just was a, uh, it, it's just, re- it was really well done. It looked like uh, sort of there was this professional, modern professional campaign going on. And then there was Charest's kind of old school kind of lackluster campaign. And then there was the others that were kind of always also rans right from the beginning. So, um, yeah, it was, it was impressive, Ryan. Yeah, it, it feels, uh, and, and I don't want people to read too much into the comparison, uh, but there are some similarities between the federal conservative leadership race and what we're seeing in Alberta right now. Uh, when people were talking about the conservative leadership race, the federal one, all anybody was talking about was Pierre Polyev. And if Jean Charest surfaced in the conversation, it was often because Polyev was taking big swipes at him or accusing him of being a liberal and, and these types of things. Same deal with Danielle Smith in Alberta, right? I mean, other candidates, maybe there's been a bit of buzz around Brian Jean lately, but not necessarily in a good way. Um, and then there are some other decent campaigns being run, but I don't have to tell you, Gary, the polling suggests that they're like single digit support right now. Do, do you see similarities between the two? Oh, races my God. Well? Yeah. I mean, no, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, and, and Danielle Smith, you know, kind of threw her lot in with Pierre Polyev early on and, you know, really was buddy buddies with him. And um, I think she was hoping to get some sort of uh, reflected uh, support, you know, by coming out and, and being such a booster of Polyev. Um, yeah, although there's just there's so many comparisons, Ryan, to to what she is doing and what Polyev doing. She's she's going after a very specific voter, and and that is not the broad public Albertan Albertan. She's going after you know the people that are going to help get her elected leader of the Conservative Party or the United uh, Conservative Party. And the message to them is very different than the message that you would take to a general election. So I mean. Uh, you know, she's doing some stuff. You know, obviously, the Sovereignty Act has got so much attention. Uh, bizarre, uh, as it seems, it's going to be it's it's going to have a certain amount of appeal to a lot of people in Alberta that she cares deeply about right now, because those are the people that are going to get her elected. I, I shouldn't do this, uh, but I haven't had a chance to fact check something before bringing it up here on the show. So as we've been, you know, we do this live. We're live streaming right now, Gary. Yeah. Uh, it's popped up on my screen. Somebody's said, and I don't, I haven't fact checked it, but apparently Daniel Smith, unless someone's pulling my leg, has said something about like all provincial employees are, 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 are going to lose their jobs and to get hired back, they have to pass an Alberta citizenship test. I don't know if this is a joke. I think I'm yeah. being trolled, but in case it's serious, uh, this is one of the most bonkers things I've, I've ever heard. I don't know if it's true or not, uh, so I probably shouldn't talk about it too much right now. Let me say this. One of the major differences, the obvious ones between the two races, is that Pierre Polyev immediately becomes the leader of the official opposition. Uh, but Danielle Smith, if, if voted, obviously chosen leader of her party by a relatively small number of Albertans, becomes premier, uh, which is, of course, a major difference and, and, and would send ripples, I think, across the entire country. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, let's go back to what the, the, the tweet that you just saw about, you know, provincial, all provincial employees being fired and have to sort of uh, do a sort of allegiance test to get rehired. I mean, I think it's absurd. And that's obviously some sort of joke and, and people are trolling people. But, you know, what's weird is that you probably had to think once or twice, and I did too. Like, <laughs> yeah. I wonder if this is true. <laughs> you know, like, like, it can't be true, right? Maybe, it has this, to be a, maybe this is true. Maybe I mean, it is like, true. it's just, it's kind of crazy to think that we even thought for a second, like, ah, I wonder if that's true. I mean, yeah. it's so absurd. 
but again, um, but you know, it, it, it's so true about our system. And I, I don't know if anybody's come up with a different one, but you know, a very small number of people are going to elect Danielle Smith, the, the new leader, or you know, potentially elect Danielle Smith to be the new leader of the United Conservative Party. And, uh, you know, ca having campaigned on all these wacky ideas, and then she's going to become the premier of Alberta, you know, uh, sort of, you know, fronting these wacky ideas that nobody else in the province has raised their hand and said, you know, I, yeah, I'm all for it. The most people are thinking like, this is crazy, you know, um, or as former premier Christy Clark said, batshit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse my language, but that she, that's what she said. But I mean, so I, it, it, it just seems absolutely ridiculous that, that, and I, I think, you know, I think the thing to watch, Ryan, if she does succeed in winning the leadership, it's going to be interesting to see what happens inside that caucus. Because, I mean, everybody's already made their feelings known about, you know, the Sovereignty Act and why they wouldn't support it, including Jason Kenney and others. I mean, there, you could be certain there's going to be some sort of revolt that she would have to quell almost immediately among her detractors in that caucus. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen people wondering you know, whether or not she would even survive a, a confidence vote within her own party within the first few months if she were to really double down on this Sovereignty Act stuff. So uh, yeah. I have to say, by the way, I was about 12 feet away from former Premier Clark when she when she called the idea batshit crazy. That was at that center ice event that was held in Edmonton <laughs> hosted by Rick Peterson. And right. it, it got a real reaction out of the crowd. Um, but some people you could tell sitting there, um, I would presume to be Smith supporters because they didn't know how to respond to it. Uh, I think they had a lot of respect for Chris Clark as well. And you've seen the same thing. You mentioned Jason Kenney. I mean, I can't remember his exact words, but he's gone up one side of this thing and down the other. Uh, Daniel yeah. Smith's already picking, not, she's not picking, that's not fair, but, but she's she kind of getting into it with the Lieutenant governor. You never see that, right? She's no. saying, that, you know, so, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, Gary, we're grateful to have you here. I want to get back to your column because I, th I think that it's, this is what people across the country are talking about right now, which is whether or not Pierre Polyev can take this enormous momentum, uh, 300,000 plus, Plus, memberships sold, I mean, 70% of the vote on the first ballot in the leadership race uh, and turn that into electoral success. In other words, is Pierre Polyev the next prime minister? Now, why don't we talk sort of pros and cons or maybe what his team's list looks like? What do they have to address? What are some of the image tweaks that they're going to need to make? And, and maybe where are the federal liberals most vulnerable? What makes you believe that Justin Trudeau may have met his match? Well, I think that it, it really starts with um, Polyev's uh, communication skills. He's he's a very very effective speaker. He's he's uh, he can deliver a message and stay on message, which we saw during that leadership campaign. You know, if you've been around campaigns, one of the biggest issues for a campaign manager is their candidate going off message and sort of you know sort of uh, ad libbing or and that's where they often get in trouble. Uh, and Pierre Polyev is a message machine and he stays on message and he hits that message and he doesn't leave the message. And that's what one reason why he was so effective during that leadership race. He was just a message machine and Jenny Byrne, his campaign manager, must have just absolutely loved him for it. But he's just very, very good on his feet. He's the best. He's the best communicator that the conservative party has had, you know, in, in decades, you know, uh, uh, Stephen Harper wasn't a great communicator. He wasn't charismatic. Uh, I, I think that uh, Pierre Polyev, he can he can hold a crowd. He, he can he can speak uh, off his feet. Those 
I mentioned in my column, um, Ryan, those videos, those four to five minute videos that he did often just ad living, you know, walking through an airport while, you know, somebody's filming him and he's just talking about, you know, chaos at the airport or, you know, standing in front of a $3 million teardown in Vancouver to talk about housing. Those videos were so effective. And, uh, you know, I, I, the, the liberals haven't faced anyone like this, you know, ever. Well, at least cer- certainly since the Trudeau, since Justin Trudeau's become leader. So I, I think it really starts there. And I, I think, you know, you're going to see some real, real battles in the House of Commons when it resumes this fall because, um, is, uh, you know, because uh, Polyev is going to be standing up as the leader of the opposition and he's going to be relentless and uh, there, there's going to be some sparks. It's it's going. I think we're going to see uh, some some real drama in the House of Commons. So I, I think you know the number one thing that he's got going for him is his communication skills, which is you know that when you're a leader of a political party, that's huge. Yeah, I think we're going to see a whole new side of Justin Trudeau as well uh, to combat this. What are you expecting to see from the Prime Minister? Well, I mean, he's a pretty combative guy too. You know, he really hasn't had. A real a, a political opponent that he's had to worry about in the last you know for the last little while. I mean, Aaron O'Toole was a nice guy, but you know he wasn't a great speaker or was not a real forceful politician. Uh, Andrew Shear was a disaster. I mean, uh, it you know it hasn't been great for the Conservatives. Now he's going to see he's going to face somebody that's really got some. Uh, it's going to bring some uh, guns to the gunfight. He's not going to be bringing a knife to the gunfight. So uh, yeah, it, it's it's going to be interesting. But I, I think uh, you know don't underestimate Trudeau. I mean he's a he's a battler himself. He never backs down. Never shy from a, a fight. All those sort of cliches. But you're I, so I, that's why I think we're going to see some real some real drama in the house of commons because i think trudeau i mean one i think one of the reasons trudeau wants to stick around is is so he can engage in this fight i think he really believes that pair polyev is a danger to this country and he believes that he's the one that can prevent him from from ever becoming prime minister i think that's probably one is one of his main goals yeah this is like just obviously pure speculation but i i, I wonder if the prime minister's decision when he informed his cabinet last week that he would stay on and try to try to win that fourth term that so few prime ministers have uh what one i think one has maybe two yeah. uh you know it was i wonder if that is is an indictment on his assessment of his bench strength um maybe that's a stretch i mean maybe it's more of an ego-driven decision i don't know what do you think i i i think you know you and i would both be speculating but i mean when you look at the front benches of of the liberal party i mean the one name that has continually uh you know, left out is Christia Freeland. Now, uh, would how would Christia Freeland do against uh, a Pierre Polyev? I, I don't know. I mean, they're completely different po- politicians. And, uh, uh, you know, you know, I, part of me, you know, it's sort of sad to think, but, you know, would a Pierre Polyev kind of overpower her because she's such a cerebral, slow talking, you know, very thoughtful, uh, you know, politician uh is is that the kind of politician you need to fight someone like pierre polyev i don't know and i I just don't see like a mark carney or somebody like that having any success against them i mean i I guess the biggest problem ryan is that there's so many negatives attached to uh, justin trudeau now like Mm. he is not a very well liked politician in broad swaths of this country and 
you know, even though some of the big issues for Polyev, like chaos at the airport, you know, the passport office mass uh, vaccine mandates, I mean, those are going to drop away as issues that are available to him, you know, as you know, the year goes by and we get into the next year. Um, so but, you know, he's constantly chipping away at the Trudeau legacy. And, you know, that does have an, that does have an impact. You know, you're chipping away at the foundation of that guy's legacy and eventually things, you know, will will fall down and implode. So, uh, you know, I, I think that I, I think it's going to be tough. It, it's you know, I, I, I you know, obviously I, I'm not even going to predict what could happen here because we ne- we may not have an election for three years. Ryan. Yeah. And, you know, that is like anything could happen there. But I, I think, you know, what's going to be interesting, I don't mean to ramble on here, but I, I you know, it's going to be interesting to see what uh, what Polyev does with th- those groups that he's been playing footsie with, you know, the, the Freedom Convoy extremists and, and, and you know, the, the, the people who are convinced that the World Economic Forum wants to destroy life as we know it. Like, is he going to continue to play footsies with these people. I mean, he, he did it to get votes for the leadership, but is he going to continue to do it? And, you know, will that upset some people? Obviously, surely it will be. So a lot of people expect him to kind of really play that stuff down now and look more like a prime minister in waiting. So we'll we'll see what happens there. Uh, by the way, we, we, we don't ramble on this show. We explore thoughts and ideas and, <laughs> and, and, and we, okay. we we welcome that. Uh, what do you what do you think is the story? I mean, I, maybe I'm asking and I'm setting you up to ramble. Uh, what's <laughs> what's the source of of this disdain toward the prime minister? I mean, like it's difficult for anybody to to you know, you look whether it's sports or politics or whatever, uh, somebody in a position of real leadership. Once you're getting past 10, 15 years, uh, it's difficult to do because you know people lose the luster, so to speak. But do you, is there like one or two things you think in particular that's damaging the Trudeau brand? And if so, can can he turn that around? I, I'm not sure. It's one or two things, Ryan. I, I think it's just an accumulation of political barnacles that a politician who's been in power a long time begins to collect and you can't really get rid of them. You know, like there's obviously there's been a lot of ethic charges against Trudeau. I mean, there was the SNC-Lavalin thing, which, you know, it, it, it begins to erode the public's trust in a political figure. And I think that has certainly happened. I think, you know, just, you know, just the way Trudeau carries himself sometimes it is not a, something that a lot of people he's not relatable to a lot of people especially in the west he seems kind of comes across as a bit a feat and a bit of a silver spoon uh elitist uh, you know of the quote laurentian elite he, he seems to be a, a full paid member of that so th- there was always going to be a broad swath of canadians that just could never relate to him and uh, that remains the case and i, I just think you know after a long time in politics, after you've been in power a long time, you just lose some of the luster. And it's just difficult to stay there for a long time and remain well-liked. I mean, I think the last political leader in Canada who was able to do that was was probably Jean Chrétien. I mean, he I think he was well-liked by a lot of Canadians right until the end. But people, I think, agreed with his decision to step down and let somebody else, let some new blood take over. And, you know, that's always a compelling reason to, to leave. If you've been in power, I guess, you know, Trudeau will have been in power by 
for 10 years if he goes to the end of this deal with the NDP. Mm-hmm. That's a long time, you know, and I, I think, you know, you, you, you can easily make the case that 10 years is, you know, that should be, that should be it. And you got to let different people take over and let new ideas and possibly a new, a new generation come over and, and, and take on some of the huge challenges that this country is is facing in the, in the years ahead. Yeah, I, I was just reading something uh, Pierre Polyev wrote uh, several years ago, arguing that politicians should be limited to two electoral cycles. Uh, obviously, he's changed his opinion on that, I suspect. Um, w- w- in closing, your thoughts on this dust up between David Aiken and Pierre Polyev at that news conference the other day. Aiken, uh, you know, wants questions answered. Uh, Polyev hasn't been especially inclined to do interviews. Um, it was obviously early in his tenure as the leader. I think people acknowledge that maybe both of them don't come off looking great. How are you analyzing how that all played out? Well, I'm very glad that you raised this, Ryan, because this gives me an opportunity to plug my next column, <laughs> okay. which will be in Friday's Globe and Mail and that will be posted online a little bit later today. But um, I did look at this exchange between Aiken and Polyab. But I looked at it in the broader context of the war that Polyev has started with the media. And I think this is a war that he wants. I think he, he's, he thinks it's good for business. Uh, he's obviously started to fundraise off, off of the dust up with uh, Aiken. There's really a, a method to his madness. I mean, Donald Trump did exactly the same thing. You know, if you can convince a broad swath of the public that the media is not to be trusted, then any criticisms, legitimate criticisms that the media might have of the leader's positions on A, B, or C, then that it, that those criticisms become eroded and undermined by the distrust that the leader has instilled uh, you know, among the media and in, in the public's minds. And I, I think Pierre Polyev is, is, is taking a page right out of that playbook and he's fundraising off his war with the media. So you're going to see a lot more of this. I mean, he he is convinced, just as Stephen Harper is convinced, that the the, the most of the media in Ottawa are are leftists. They don't have any sympathy or time for the conservative parties. They'll never get a fair shake. That is the mindset. You know, Pierre Polyev, Pierre Polyev worked with Stephen Harper. He's been suspicious of journalists right from the very beginning. So this is a war that was a long time coming, and he'll be right in there. He will be unafraid to mock, ridicule, out journalist, uh, you know, what he did with Rachel Gilmore from uh, Global News. That's terrible, too. So, yeah, it, it, this, is a, this is a big uh, developing story, and I would urge your many, many listeners to read my column when it's posted today online and in the Globe and Mail on Friday. You got it. That's Gary right. Mason, uh, columnist for The Globe and Mail. You can read his work at theglobemail.com. Follow him on Twitter at Gary Mason Globe. Uh, we'll look forward to that column, Gary. It's always a pleasure when our paths cross, even virtually. Thanks so much for doing the show and have a great rest of your week. Okay, my pleasure, Ryan. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, you got it. Thanks, bud. Uh, there you have it. Uh, do you agree? Disagree? I guess you're going to say, well, about what? You're going to say you covered so much ground in that interview. Where should we begin? I love stuff like that. Isn't that the greatest? The guests where you just go, we're going to hard swerve off to this. Yeah. We're going to swerve back to that. I Let's talk it. about provincial politics. Let's talk about federal it's politics. Full spectrum. Let's talk about tennis. <laughs> Let's not. You and I are a little out of our depth <laughs> if we start talking about tennis. I'll acknowledge. Um, 
Okay. Hmm. So where do you go from here if you're a liberal supporter? Where do you go from here if you're a conservative supporter? Hmm. Where do you go from here if you're a federal NDP supporter and you're like, nobody is talking about our party, <laughs> which would be true. That's a whole other storyline, right? The yeah. deal that, I mean, you know, Gary even saying right there, you know, Trudeau will hit 10 years as prime minister. You remember the big 2015 win over mm-hmm. Stephen Harper, 2025. Mm-hmm. We'll be here kind of before we know it. Mm-hmm. And that's a decade uh, under a, a Trudeau prime minister. Um, you know, this only happens if, the NDP remain, uh, and it's not fair to say enamored, mm-hmm. but if they if they remain respectful of this agreement that they've struck, and in order for that to happen, Jagmeet Singh's made it very clear that they better see some progress, mm-hmm. they better see some movement on their top priorities, which would be probably good, right, mm-hmm. for lower-income Canadians in particular, for people uh, for whom dental care is a pipe dream, <laughs> You know, we talk about universal health care in Canada doesn't include dental care. Don't have to tell you if you're on a fixed budget. You haven't had your teeth checked, let alone cleaned in the past number of years. What about pharmacare? What about people that every single month are wondering how they're going to come up with the cash that they need just to get their meds? So these are stories that we'll pay close attention to. There was an announcement on dental care for lower income families last week in Vancouver. The prime minister made it mm-hmm. didn't get a lot of traction in no. the news, right? And that's maybe maybe people will say, well, oh, I wonder why that is, Jesperson. All you're doing is talking about these leadership races. That's also what's happening. Uh, and then the queen, you may have heard, passed away. Right. The news cycle is so competitive um, that we do our best to stay on top of it all. Uh, this is also real talkers where we look to you. And I mean this. We mean it as a team. If there's something you're not hearing on the show, if there's a guest you'd love to see on the show, if, if there's a, a, an inclination you have or a conviction you have, an opinion you have that you'd like to share with Real Talkers, you can get it to us anytime. Talk at ryanjesperson.com is our email address. You can also just go to our website and click on the Connect link. That interview was presented by our friends at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. They want to remind you, if you're in the market for the back-to-back-to-back Motor Trend Truck of the Year, that's the Dodge Ram 1500, you will not find a better selection than you will at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Same goes for Jeep, the wildly popular Grand Cherokee, the best-selling SUV in North American history. You can shop new and pre-owned vehicles today from the comfort of your own home online or go see their team in person let them know you heard about them on real talk we guarantee top shelf service from the teams at st albert and sherwood dodge park power is your friendly local utilities provider and i want to hammer this message home switching to park power will save you money you can compare rates on internet electricity and natural gas today at parkpower.ca you get to choose the charity that you want to benefit 10 percent of the electricity profits for park power go to nonprofits in their community how cool is that don't forget the promo code 2022-realtalk knocks 70 dollars off your very first bill eden landscaping has been bringing outdoor spaces to life for more than 20 years proudly family owned this is a company that demands perfection from themselves they're never going to leave a job site before the job's done to your satisfaction that's why so many customers refer eden landscaping to their friends and neighbors you can get a quote today check out their portfolio their services learn a little bit more about mike and his team at landscape 
Hey, today's a great day for a signature stacker. That's right, the Stack Burger Collection at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. This is one of the best quick service burgers going. I personally, today, am going to recommend the Steakhouse Stack Burger. Why? Because of the bacon and the onion ring on top. But you make your own choice. The flamethrower is a great one as well if you like a little heat on your burgers. These are the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. We are so grateful for their support. And don't forget tomorrow, another edition of Trash Talk coming up. That's presented by our friends at Local Environmental Services. If you're listening in today from Alberta or Saskatchewan, if you're a small business owner, heck, if you're a big business owner, why not keep it local with your garbage and recycling? Local waste guarantees better service, better prices. Let them show you how they can help today at localenvironmental.ca. So Trash Talk will be a big highlight, obviously, of tomorrow's show. It's a tradition every Friday, but also, you know, Sapria Devetti joins us every week. We'll talk about our most recent episode of Seriously, that podcast out just yesterday. You can check it out at seriouslypod.com. It's also going to be Julie Rohr Day in our home city of Edmonton. Julie's husband, David, has agreed to join us. You're going to meet him if you haven't already. Plus, we're going to introduce the winner, the first ever, of the Real Talk Julie Rohr Scholarship. You'll meet her right here on the show. And then, on the heels of their brand new show launching on Check on the West Coast, Linda Steele and Jody Vance returning for our Real Talk Roundtable. It's going to be one you won't want to miss. We'll see you then. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com. 